Coming to you from the M&M Exterior Studio in Nooksville, Virginia, this is Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle, the introvert's extrovert. She talks to people so you don't have to. For now. Now, give us some backstory then for everyone that doesn't know your story. Sure. So I was raised in a tiny village outside of Montreal, a very secluded, isolated place where only Hasidic Jews um, live. And the kids are raised um, with a very strict religious upbringing, hardly any secular information, even in, in the school, like the boys are sacrificing their whole day to studying the Bible and the Talmud. Like that's the only thing they do. Sometimes they have like in the evening, maybe an hour of a little bit of English, basic English and math, like not even, not even sufficient to um, succeed in life, but just like to top, to touch the topic. The girls have a little bit more of an intro uh, of uh, English and French and uh, basic math and I would say a little bit of geography and some of that stuff but not really um an equivalent to a to a basic public school education like far from it I would say I graduated probably with the fourth grade level of English you know um so basically most of my upbringing was about um, how dedicated I have to be to serving God and all the million rules that that entails. Mm. So every single moment of my life was guided by rules. Like you had to um, dress a certain way, um, eat a certain kind of food. Like you're, of course, pork and, and, and shellfish and all that stuff is not kosher. But on top of that, even within kosher, there are so many categories. For instance, I lived in Toronto for a year of my childhood. My parents uh, moved there to help um, get people more Jewish, like more Tush. Like this, this community I come from is called Tush, Curious Tush. So uh, when I was there, I went to the local Jewish uh orthodox school but the food was not kosher enough for my parents so my mom would promise me every time there was a birthday party and I didn't eat the food she would bake a cake and she would like replace the things that I didn't eat and one day I came home and I told her that um, they had some delicious um, colorful sprinkles um, cupcakes and um, the teacher said it was kosher like she she couldn't she couldn't bear that the teacher couldn't bear seeing my eyes almost popping out and she was like telling me yes um she was showing me it had a stamp that it's kosher you know so I told my mom I only ate the sprinkles <laughs> so she can still give me something in in, in return you know so the, that this is something I remember because my mom is such a dedicated um and committed person like like she was always there for us and always also very serious about the religion like she mm. went above and beyond you know 
So that's kind of an idea of how I was raised. And you can see some perfectionism threads in there, right? So it's like- That's deep-rooted, right? Much, what? That's very deep-rooted, oh, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. Because it's when it's tied not only to your childhood, but then to your faith and everything you've known. I mean- Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I never thought that there was any space between black and white. Like you're either good or you're bad. And you're either like- all those rules that we were told about, if you if you slipped up and, and you did not exactly right, then it was a sin. So I had to repent and I had to hope that God was not going to punish me for it. And every year on the high holidays, we would pray and cry to God to please forgive us for all the sins and, and, and we're going to be better this year and all that. And then I felt like a, like a fraud because I keep on telling God that I'm going to be better and like, Maybe he's not going to believe me. And this year he's going to kill me because I'm so bad, you know? Yeah. So it's like that continual I, failure, like, cause we can't exactly. be perfect. So all you're doing is setting yourself up for continual failure. If the bar is so high. Exactly. And, and it took so long for me. Like I was well into my adulthood life when I realized that this is not just, um, not a goal I should have but it's unrealistic. Like all those goals are just really unrealistic. I, I had set myself up for failure basically, because I thought that all these rules are actually humanly possible to follow, you know? So, um, yeah, I remember as, as a young bride, I, I, I had an arranged marriage, um, at 17 years old, my parents arranged to whom I was going to marry. And it was a young boy actually from my little town. Um, they had moved from London, from England, uh, a few years ba- uh, before that. And I was lucky. I, I didn't know the guy because, uh, girls and boys, men and women are extremely segregated in that community, uh, in Hasidic community in general. But I had seen him like pass through my window, go to the synagogue and stuff like that. So I, I knew I knew a little bit about him just by the way he carried himself. And, and, and I was very impressed. He was a very, he seemed like a good hearted person. And I felt like I could, I could think about um, uh, building a life with him, you know, and he was actually also a brother of my best friend. And that in itself just shows you how segregated the community is because it didn't even matter that it was her brother. I could never not even look at him, not, not just not, uh, have a conversation, but you know, you sh- the the modesty rules are so strict that there is a complete divide. And I remember, as a young bride, I was w- visiting his gr- grandmother, and I, as I was there on a Friday night, I used the bathroom, and there was a, a towel hanging there with a little branding that says, "Nobody's perfect." And right there, I broke down and I cried because it hit me so hard. Like, I've never thought about it. Like, it's true. Why am I beating myself up for not being something that is just impossible, Impossible. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so it was a very long journey. Just from knowing something, we don't automatically (laughs) do it, right? It was a, a long journey of integrating that message and, like, in every aspect of my life to just forgive myself and to just be, you know, not to always um, connect my value, my, my worthiness with perfection, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know um, so much of your message is about that self-love and self-compassion. 
because healing is so important. And so coming from the upbringing you did, the so strict, and then leaving that world behind, that alone is scary enough. I mean, I feel like that's a whole topic in and of itself of, you know, having that courage to do something different, especially when that's all, you know, so you make that break and then it becomes this whole new journey to, you know, heal yourself so that you can be the parent you want to be to your kids. So how did, how did that, how did you get to that place where you guys knew that for you guys, it was the right thing to walk away from that community? That is a great question because it really didn't happen overnight. It was a very slow progression. And there was a point where I knew this is not the place where I want to raise my kids. Like there was a point where the people I had looked up to all my life and admired so deeply, really uh, their true colors came out. And I realized this was a hypocrisy. This was like just a, a power game. You know, it wasn't about serving God. It was more about um who's on top and and like how like it was a kind of almost a competition you know um and it really hit me hard it was like my whole world fell apart at that moment when I realized um I had believed in people who are not really what they say they are you know I think everyone can relate to that right like it's that because when you're young you put people up on pedestals and there's that I mean without all the baggage that you know you're talking about like we all have different baggage. That's my point. You know, it's like, we all have a different, but everyone can relate to that shift of, wait, this isn't what I thought it was and needing to kind of find your own way. Yours is just so, I mean, it's just because it was your whole world, you know, it's not just one person or one kind of exactly. thing. Yeah. Exactly. I left literally everything behind my, my place where, where I felt at home, my, my friends, my family, my whole life, basically, it was like I came from a different planet, actually, because I didn't just not know the language. I knew like basic English where I can tell you I, I, I like the color orange, but I couldn't express any thoughts, any sentiments. Like I didn't have the language. Uh, English or any other secular language was was deemed impure. So you don't taint your soul with that language. You only speak Yiddish. Um, you only use the language when you're supposed to use it for a doctor, for a taxi driver, um, or in school when you're supposed to study it because the government says so and we need to abide by the government we live in, like by the by the land we live in. And this is basically, um, it was such a big change, just really starting almost from scratch, but at the same time, having all those things that I had to heal within myself, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't really like scratch. I didn't know anything about the culture from outside. Like it was completely like an alien, you know? Because you didn't have, I'm sure, TV, like no No, shows or nothing that... Yeah. No access to TV, no access to any, not, not even a library was, was, was permitted, you know? And just navigating my way without even knowing whom to ask, like even just taking care of my hair, all my, all my youth, I, I wore braids because that's like the highest pedestal of, of purity of God. God made braids for, for, for uh, Eve. So that's what is like the, the, the best way to serve God, you know? Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how to dress, how to uh, take care of my hair, basic things that I didn't have anybody to ask, but a lot worse than that was that I couldn't figure out how do I make friends? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I 
actually find people who I can relate to, right? I remember the first person I met was somebody here in Montreal at a bus stop. And she still laughs with me today because she says the moment she started talking to me, I just couldn't stop. Like a person, you find out of me. Yes. We all need that connection. And if you have, when you finally found it, it was, I'm sure like the Holy Grail. That's a great analogy. No, it is. It is. It's almost like that because I was like, it was like a window to to the world, right? Mm. You're not alone anymore too. Exactly. Yeah. So important. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really, and that is why I feel so passionate about sharing my story because Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, every little spark of hearing anything that I could relate to gave me so much hope. So I'm so acutely aware of how much we, we don't have to grow up in a, in an isolated village like I did to be so, um, to feeling alone, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the mm-hmm. world, we have all our own journeys and in very many instances, we feel like we are the only one failing at this or yes. whatever it is, right? And I I, I felt so, it, it was such a healing part for me to just listen like to Brene Brown on her book, um, mm-hmm. in her book, uh, Rising Strong, the way she tells her story about her husband and her fighting, like, normalizing everyday struggles Mm -hmm. and knowing that you're not the only one, you know, it's so empowering and, and it inspires to want to um, embrace ourselves like completely the way we are and, and just grow into the best version of ourselves, not to try to compare. Right. Because when we have that imaginary, imaginary ideal of how we should lead our lives, Mm-hmm. It's 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 always like, oh my God, maybe I'm not doing it right. And trying to look how others are doing as if their way of doing is the right way for me. And for me, because I have left that mm-hmm. life behind where I was always trying to um, fit into the box, I'm kind of allergic to it right now. Like now mm-hmm. I'm like... Your radar is so high. Yes. Mm. Yes. I have my antennas where I feel like, if there's anything that is oppressive, I just go the other way. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's anybody that tries to put me into a box, I'm like, I'm done with boxes. I, you said you were acutely, you're acutely aware for that loneliness. And I think that is, you know, I talk a lot about that and cause you and I follow each other on Instagram. So we both so much of our thoughts, you know, are, are just like, yes, yes. And you know, I know I talk about that a lot too. And what I so appreciate about you sharing your story is that, as you said, we all have those things in our life. We all have those boxes of perfection that we think we need to fit into. Um, but what I think is powerful about your story, many things. So this is just one thing, but, um, you have been to that extreme, you know, not just, oh, some subliminal messaging or, or some of this, like you have been through, you know, from the time you were born and more strict than anyone, most people can imagine. And so it's, it's so life-giving and hopeful that, and that's why I think your message is so powerful because it doesn't matter where your struggles are at, because we all have the universal struggle of that perfectionism and whatnot. And so it's like I was talking to a friend earlier and she um, has been diagnosed with brain cancer twice now. And we were talking about finding hope and choosing joy despite the circumstances. And, you know, there's something about someone who just stands up and says, choose joy, you know, like 
well, what's going on in your life? You know, just to, to rattle that off. Um, but when someone who's walked the road, she has, it just, it, it, it falls differently, you know? And so I think the same thing with the perfectionism coming from you is that like, not to diminish anyone else's. Cause as you know, like you said, that's the whole point. We're not comparing, but it's that like, you're, you have walked that hard road and have gone and, you know, you have, you're a, a wife, a mom to four kids, right? Yes. And so you have been through that. So going from the one extreme, and now, as you said, you're kind of at that place where you're like, reject all of it, reject it. Where are you at now? And then after you kind of touch on that, I would love to kind of hear some of the steps you took. Cause as you said, it's a long journey. So what are some things that you do share with the women and the people that you kind of coach to help them leave something behind some of those steps? Yes. So basically what happened is that when I left, as I told you, I had no, no one to ask for guidance. Mm -hmm. Right. And at one point I was listening to the radio because now I was, I was allowed to to listen to the radio and, and try to figure out how to navigate my, my way in the world. And I heard an advertising about um, total transformation for your child. You can raise your child to be um, that well-behaved child that you wish for without, I don't remember all the promises, but I felt like, oh my God, like from the outside world and something that resonates with my values. So I bought the program and I followed it, but it was so destructive. So that was just another way of like really reinforcing in myself to trust my own gut. Because it was it like replacing one system with another? Exactly. From the, from the, from the frying pan into the fire, right? Yes. It's almost like hunger games. If anyone has read that, I remember I was an English major. So like when I read that, it's like, "Ah, I don't care about the love story. I want to know the story. And when I got to the end, spoiler alert, sorry, people gets to the end. I don't know if you read it, but it's like, I realized I'm like, they're just replacing one thing with another thing. Like same problems. Cause like you said, it's the people, when you talked about in your childhood, the people you, that it was all about power, like we are human, regardless of your faith, like we're all human. So these are things they creep in no matter what faith or area, like. Exactly. It's the human story. Yes. So that was so, so you were, you replaced one with the another and seen that, but thank goodness you saw that to see that like. It took a long time and I messed up so bad. I mean, this is something that still hurts me just thinking about it because I really went against my own inner voice, like literally um, shushing it and telling myself that, no, this is the right way to do it, you know? And, oh my God, oh my God, it was, it was, if I tell you it was, it got ugly. I mean, you can believe me. Okay. Mm. And this is also that got me into this whole healing journey where I realized it's not set in stone. You know, so many parents who feel like that I have met, at least that feel like they have messed up beyond repair. And it's so not true. You know, as long as you live, there's always hope to repairing relationships and there's always something you can do to make it better. And thank goodness that I got the support and the guidance that I needed. I went to professional help. I, I went to a psychologist and I yes. really laid out my cards on the table and it was very, very difficult. I mean, to trust again and to really 
know that this is something that I need to unpack if if I want to change and heal this, right? So, um, yeah, and it's not something that you arrive, right? I'm still mm-hmm. healing. I'm still healing the relationship with my kids and all that. But it's so rewarding when you realize that it is possible and how far you can come just by committing to that journey, right? By giving all you've got, because it's not about having a map and knowing what's the next right step. It's about trusting yourself, just taking one foot on, uh, in front of the other, right? And, and just doing the best you can now. And actually, I learned that from my mom very strongly, because when I left, there was a lot of trauma involved. There was the community I came from that had people who were supposed to um, work against us that we shouldn't be able to leave. Mm -hmm. And they um, made a whole claim in youth protection and child protective services. So we had police break down our door and I was really afraid that my kids will be taken away because they made up lies about us as if we were abusive. And there was a whole long story that I'm not going to get into. But what I want to point out is that during that dark time of my life, what really kept me alive was the love that my mother gave me. Like Mm. just those little moments that I would remember the quality time that we spent together, those uh, weekday weekend afternoons that we, where we played Othello like where she sat on the floor and played Legos with us when I was little like little things that meant the world to me so many years later because they were like anchors that I would hold on to knowing that she loved me even though I couldn't talk to her because she was not supposed to talk to me it wasn't uh, viewed as encouraging me to sin like Mm. she had to follow the rules from the community when she's allowed and when she's not allowed to talk to me right Mm. but that gave me a real insight into how much more we mean to our kids than we realize and how much more every little bit of love is 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 for life You know, it's not just for the moment that they're having a good childhood, right? And that gave me hope for my kids because I realized my mother messed up. She's human, right? Mm -hmm. But still those, that love that she gave me, the the, the fact that she showed that she cared, that was all I needed. And when we want to heal a relationship, it's not about doing the right thing. It's Mm -hmm. about really showing that you care. Mm. It, it made me think of, um, you said earlier that you grew up and it's black or white. And so what I heard when I was, you know, listening, it's like, dang, it's, it's, you know, so it's like you said, it's like either my mom loves me or she doesn't because, you know, this, um, and correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm just thinking like, because I'm in this oppressive community and I'm being, you know, but then as you got older and probably healed more, it sounds like it's like you could see that the gray of like, she did love me, but she was doing the best she could. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. It was never a question if she loved me. Mm-hmm. It was it was a lot of like, just like any teenager can be very upset and feel like their parents yeah. are, are doing wrong by them, right? So I have this little diary where I wrote all the things that I'm not going to do as a parent, you know, like I, I didn't want to mess up the same way and I messed up even worse, right? But it doesn't matter what you do. It matters mm-hmm. where your heart is. Mm-hmm. It really matters what you do after you mess up. That, so that, that it doesn't matter. It, it matters what you do after you messed up because we're going to mess up. Like we're human, you know, my husband and I this year has just um, 
you know, you mentioned going to a professional therapy is a beautiful thing. And he and I have talked about that. You know, we did an episode where he talked about going to therapy. And so we kind of talk about, you know, all the things we're trying not to do. Um, Like you said, you know, it's like, we're, we're all trying to do our best. So we're trying to be the best parents we could be. And it's kind of a joke, like, well, something we do is going to screw our kids up because that's it's we're human because we're human, you know? And so kind of putting that message out there that it's not, it's not, it's, I mean, it kind of goes back to my kind of message that is over and over again. It's not, if it's when, you know, so it's not, if it's when that life storm is going to happen, it's not, if it's when stuff's going to hit the fan, but it's like, it's not, if it's when you're going to go through these hardships in your relationships with your kids or your parents or anything, you know, but it's kind of, okay, how are we going to walk through it? Exactly. Exactly. And another thing that really, I learned the hard way. Mm. We live in a culture where it's so much about self-sufficiency and like asking for help is kind of like where I come from, it was really frowned upon. It was really something that I felt like if I ask for help and something is wrong with me, that, I, that I'm incompetent, like mm-hmm. what's wrong with me that I can't figure it out on my own. Yeah. But even in the world outside, it's, it's such a, um, it's kind of stigmatized going to, for therapy and stuff like that, right? Oh yeah, sign of weakness or sign that something's wrong with you where we wouldn't shame someone for having a broken arm and say, oh, you're really going to go to the doctor for that? You're going to get a cast? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Can't you just not move it? <laughs> you know? Exactly. And, 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 and instead of looking at it as a responsible choice, like you are taking care of yourself, it's like, oh my God, she's not just holding her arm, right? She's not mm-hmm. like, how, how silly is that, right? If we really think of it. And, and to me, it really hit hard realizing that like, all the all the real progress I made in my life was never on my own, mm. and to and it always hit me again and again. Oh my God, why did I expect myself? Why did I blame myself for not being able to figure it out? It's impossible. This journey of life is made to do together. That's I was about to say. Like for me, that's the whole thing. Like I feel like it's constantly in my brain. Like you said, you, you keep relearning it because it's like we're meant to do life together. We're meant to, you know, share our stories together, to ask for help together, to carry life's burdens together, the joys and the burdens. Exactly. I love how you say it, to carry life's burdens together, because it's not meant for one person to carry it alone. You know, this life is not possible to survive alone. Exactly. Exactly. Now I was thinking when you were talking about the therapy and how it's so stigmatized, it's funny because I, um, I feel like I'm very vocal. I joke that this is like pseudo therapy. It's definitely not therapy. Um, but I always joke, it's like, it's laying the groundwork for it, you know, starting to have those conversations, starting to plant those seeds. But I know for me, all my, I have friends that are therapists, pastors, counselors, and I go to my pastor a lot for counseling and things like that. He's great. Um, but there's something even with me where it's like that final thread of like going to a therapist. And I realized through working out some of my own stuff, it's like, that goes back to that perfectionism, high achiever, that there's this voice in my head that's been saying, well, if you, if you can't carry it on your own, you must not be doing a good enough job. You know, like, aren't I good enough? Aren't I doing this well enough. Like I'm trying so hard. And I remember I said those exact same things with my migraines because I get migraines and I had to get on medicine for it. And I remember feeling, it was that same feeling of, aren't I enough? Aren't I enough that? And so it's like, why do we, 
why does it always come back to the being enough yet we're told over and over and I'm sending out that message too that you're enough you're enough but it still is in there yeah yeah because the culture where we we live in it's 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 it has conditioned us to like that's the default way of thinking like you're not enough like it's you who's wrong right when we grow up with parents who um don't get us in any which way it's always that that instinct that's gonna that that brain that um primitive brain that is going to want to blame it on us because otherwise that caregiver you can't rebel against that that caregiver it's it's our primary way of surviving mm-hmm. right yeah Go ahead. no it's really like society enforces it forces it again and again um, um, later in life as well and 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 it's when you described it how you were thinking with with a headache and with a therapy it, it's almost like you're trying the wrong door and it's locked and like oh my god it's not opening and there's another door on the other side waiting for us where we can walk through peacefully with the support that we deserve you know yes oh my god i love that visual of like, it's dead bolted. And you're like, I'm trying my hardest. I'm doing it right. I'm doing everything right. I've worked out. I've done everything. And it's like, it's because it's the wrong freaking door. You just got to go over to that door. And you get what you said you deserve, like what you need. Yeah. So powerful. And um, I can't remember where I read it, but it was about the whole parenting thing. And that's why I think um, because it's just humans, we have those survival. There's that survival part of our brain that, you know, doesn't allow us to kind of see the fault in others because we need them to, we need to trust them completely. And that's kind of why I kind of joke with my husband about like, it's, it doesn't matter what we do. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. Don't get me wrong. It does matter, but meaning we're not going to come out of this life unscathed, right? Like we are going to screw up. We are going to hurt people. We are going to, because we're human. And so it's like, you know, no, you could try your best with your kids to like listen to everything they say and give that, but it's impossible because there's going to be a time where they don't feel valued, they don't feel heard, they don't feel understood because it's it's life, it's human, it's life, yes. So as, and, we, and as I said, it, it 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 matters what you do after you mess yes. up. So that's that's the crucial part that sometimes we forget. We think it's over. Oh, we messed up. It's over. No, that. That um, mess up is really an opening for so much greater and deeper connection. When we really invest ourselves in that, there's something new that can be born out of it that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. Do you know Kintsugi? It's the Japanese pottery. Are you familiar with that? Yes. I love that. So for everyone listening, if if you're not familiar with it, it's it's an old like kind of ancient pottery technique where it's broken and they um, put it back together, but with gold, you know, gold plaster. glue. Yeah. And, and it really, so for, for me, what I take from it, you know, it's that symbolism that like we are made greater, stronger through our weaknesses and through those cracks. It's that the cracks is where either we let the light in or let the light out, you know, whichever. Um, but that's when there's that opportunity for healing. And for, for me personally, it's like healing greater than you would have on your own for healing stronger and healthier than had you not been, you know, had that break. And so I just, um, 
I love the reminder with the opportunity because 2020 has been that year. And I've written about that a lot, you know, as we wrapped up 2020 about how there was all this hard stuff. But for me personally, you know, it's just that there, I saw the opportunity and I'm grateful for the opportunity because had I not, there's just a lot of goodness that would have been missed. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that reminds me of your story, that beautiful story that made you start this whole podcast. Mm -hmm. It's really not just the crack where the light comes in, but it's also where we connect. Mm-hmm. Like you telling your story, it's it gives people a chance to connect to each other mm-hmm. in a much deeper way than with that perfection mm-hmm. look where everything is good. You know, nobody mm-hmm. wants to connect with a Barbie doll, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what really connects us to each other when we are willing to be human, mm-hmm. when we're re- really willing to embrace every part of us, not Mm -hmm. just the perfect looking ones, you know? Yeah. But it's amazing how the people who are oftentimes on the, let's say the, this is the wrong word, like the hierarchy of, you know, the, the idolization, you know, of people, they are the ones that look perfect. And I think that's because it comes from that place where people, we all do want to be perfect. So you see someone and you're like, whether it's that they look perfect or act perfect or something. So it's like, and that goes back to the social media followers, you know, it's like, Everyone wants to live vicariously who that through that person that they think is perfect. And then you see everyone following them. So you think like, well, that must be how it is. But yet, if you poll people, you know, like get a, a poll, everyone is lonely, lonelier than ever, disconnected more than ever. So it's just like, oh, it's these constant messages coming around and around and just needing to put more of our stuff out there. Yeah. Not fun. Yeah. Not always fun, but. That's what I so appreciate about your podcast. It really brings people together. It it normalizes the human journey. It it helps us learn from each other in a very beautiful and intimate way. Like a conversation is not like a, a speech that you put out there in a formal way. It's it's a very beautiful way of connecting, you know? Well, thank you. And it's because of people like you who share your story, you know, because we all are so different. And I just appreciate you because I know there's people... I have a heart and I think a lot of us do um, for kind of the unspoken hurts. You know, there's so many people hurting and whether it's because of perfectionism and they just feel like they can't share it, um, whether it's because of the community they've grown up in like yours, um, whether it's a marriage, an unhealthy, a marriage, you know, abusive marriage, there's just so much that we feel alone. People can feel alone for I don't know, more pleasant conversation things, I guess you could say. And then there's some really deep, deep, deep stuff that's hard to talk about. And for you, I think, like I said, it just goes back to, it's such such a huge change that you made. And that's why it's so important. So um, if someone is in a similar situation, I know that you didn't have anyone to reach out and um, help you. And I know that you as a coach right now, that's really something you work with people on. So as we wrap up, what would be either something, what's a message you like to share with people that might be kind of where you were, you know, maybe a different circumstance, but, but same kind of feeling. And then how can they reach out to you? Okay. So there are two things that I would love to share. One is the little kindness. Like we think that helping somebody means taking away their problem. And it's so not that because you can't take away somebody else's problem. They have to figure their own way out. It's not going to be with your recipe, right? Mm -hmm. And what you can do is be kind in the most 
little ways, as I, I mentioned before, just to show that you care how deeply and incredibly their life can be impacted by that. I still remember those little kindnesses from strangers that not just made my day, but I can still remember it today. And it just fills me with such a warmth and just knowing that there is goodness in the world, right? Because I had lost my faith in humanity. I felt so betrayed. And we never know how just asking somebody how they are, just caring, just a smile, just little things. We don't have to do like carry their load for them. Just caring can make a huge difference, you know? And another thing is to be kind to yourself, mm-hmm. you know? It starts there. I remember actually my teacher in Tosh, she said like this whole um, phrase in the Bible, um, um, don't do unto others what you don't like to be done to yourself. Like love, love thy neighbor like yourself, right? She says, it starts with yourself. You can't love somebody else if you hate yourself, right? Mm. There's no, there's, you can't give to somebody what you don't have. And that really was also a journey for me to learn to love myself, to learn to take care of myself. Every time I take care of myself better, my kids are better better off. I can be a better person in the world when I take better care of myself. And it's funny because earlier when you said, when we were talking about seeing the humanness, you know, like in your mom and that she's doing the best she can. And I think that when we hold ourselves up to a standard, and that goes back to that perfectionism that we can't live up to. Then not all, I think the more we judge ourselves, the more we judge others. And I've just found through like my journey, it's like the more compassionate I am again for myself, the more self-love I give myself, the more compassionate I can be to others. And it's like, once again, this is all stuff that it's like, this message has been around for many years, <laughs> but we just, but that's because we need it though. And we need that reminder. Absolutely. Over and over. And we need to put it into practice as well. It's not just about knowing it because practicing it is a whole, is a whole different level, right? Yep. Now, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? So I am on Facebook a lot on Instagram, Clara Wasserstein. I also have on Facebook, my, um, on my Facebook cover, my uh, email address, clara.wasserstein.coaching at gmail.com. Yeah. And I also have a Facebook group. Uh, It's called Radical Self-Love Community. And we travel on this journey of self-love together. It's really a beautiful community of women who support each other. And we have challenges from time to time with prizes and it's fun there. Oh, that's wonderful. And one more time that Facebook community, because um, is that open to anyone or do you have to be a member or? No, no, no. It's a free Facebook group and it's, um, it's, it's women primarily right now. So Mm -hmm. that's um, where it's at. Maybe eventually I'll, I'll, I'll open it to men as well. We'll see. Yeah. Lean into where you're at. I think that's great. I think that's a great way if, if someone's listening and kind of feels that tug on their heart, um, which I think pretty much everyone that applies to everyone, but that self-love. Um, but it's great that you have shared your story and are a safe place. I think that really that's what I see with you is just that safe place where women can share their story and um, reach up for help too. So thank you for all you do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. And that's a wrap for now. 
Thanks for listening to Flushing It Out with Samantha Spittle. Please visit our website at flushingitout.com for all things flushing, and be sure to subscribe. This has been a Spitfire production. That was the greatest thing I've ever heard.